case, you gotta copy this. Yeah, go ahead. You have one star. I'll be over in a minute. Time, temperature, and concentration. Read the work order. Safety glasses. You're not done with that yet? Hey, put on some gloves. Can you please just follow the process? Make sure you put your respirator away. Solvent rags go over the side of the trash can. Where's your wet film gauge? Make sure you're putting tags back on the parts. Did you milk check that? Put your tools away. This chase. Welcome to KaiserCast episode 8. I'm Jace Kaiser. I'm here with my co-host Chloe. Today we have Dave with Viadon LLC on as our guest that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, Viadon is a masking supply company that we work with. It's where we get plugs, caps, and masking. Um, I'm not too familiar with Dave, so we're going to get to know him today. We usually work with the salespeople. He's more behind the scenes, handles a lot of stuff at Viadon. Um, hopefully he can fill us in on some masking tips, teach us some things about it. Masking is one of those things that we talk about on our social media from time to time, but we don't go very, we don't dive very deep uh, simply because I don't feel like I have enough knowledge to dive deep enough. We just go off of what we've experienced. So that'll be an interesting conversation. Um, just our open discussion this week. We have Kaiser Blasting and Coatings uh, sponsoring the Malvern Bank Super Late Models this weekend as they open their race season out at IAD Speedway. So we're excited about that. Um, last night they ran. Tad Pospisil and Bill Layton won the preliminary features. I think tonight's the finale. So, um, do you still know everybody in that world, or has there been some turnover since you left it? There's been some turnover, but I know the the people that run up front are still the ones typically running up front. And hopefully, to mesh kind of the racing with the coatings, we're going to get a powder coat some spoilers. They like to do a special spoiler for the point leader throughout the year, and so. Um, we don't, we haven't coded them yet, but I think they're on their way and we have the powder ordered for them. So we'll be making some posts about that and maybe I'll get out to help put some of the spoilers on or something like that. I'll get out to a race eventually. I usually try to stay away so I don't get the racing itch. Um, I've only been out to the races once since I stopped racing a number of years ago, but we'll see. Does it come back? It like probably floods you the minute you walk into I-80 Speedway. Yeah, or any racetrack mainly. So it's hard for me to watch. If I'm going to go out, I kind of want to help somebody. But I haven't really kept those relationships up well enough for anybody to, to want me to just pop in and look at everything they're doing. They might think I'm spying. That's kind of how racers are. You like to keep everything hidden. And so if I said I wanted to help somebody, they'd probably think, oh, yeah, because you, you're going to start racing again next year. So you want to learn everything that I'm doing before <laughs> before you go race. Uh but yeah, racers are pretty secretive and competitive. I guess that makes sense. I mean, yeah. Are they so when you say secretive, are you talking about um like how their cars are built? I mean what Yeah, everything's set up, what yeah. parts are on it. So 
when we were out there and I, th- I assume it's still this way. Like, so you usually jack the car up on jack stands, pull the wheels off in between the races. We had covers for every uh, wheel opening so nobody could see under it. You have a cover for the back of the car so nobody can see underneath of it because you never want anybody to look underneath your car because you don't want them to find something that, that will make them faster that you don't want them to know what you're doing. Um, on the same token, sometimes you put some little, uh, distractions or carrots for people to get distracted with (laughs) to maybe see and, uh, lead them astray from what you're actually doing to make the car go fast. So sneaky. Have you ever done that? Yeah, we did. And then we went to uh, sell a race car and, um, it was one of the ones I was really fast in and I had everything Mm -hmm. stripped off of it when we were going to sell it. And, um, usually when you sell a car, you try to help them with the setup from like for their first time anyway. And he's like, well, what about this and this? That was always that you could always see whenever I was in staging, I could see that looking up underneath the back of your car. I was like, oh yeah, that's, that was just a decoy. There's nothing going on there. He's like, are you serious? <laughs> did you come up with that or did Jay come up with that? Um, I guess well, I'm asking I, who I, the devious one is in the family. Well, I was the devious one that wanted to do it. I wouldn't say that I came up with the idea. Um, there's other race car drivers that have been, I mean, when you're racing, your job is to push the envelope and to push the gray areas of the rule book. So then they just make more rules. Um, you're trying to push everything to the limit. Uh, so it'd been decoys and stuff have been happening. And I just thought that I wanted to do that. Wow. I went I to the, I went, I went to the effort of like making these parts and they were looked new and then take them out and drag them through the mud and, throw rocks at them, chip them up so that it looked like a used, so it wasn't like this brand new fancy shiny thing that looked like suspicious. Wow. Yeah. So I miss doing that. I miss like the mind games of that, I think. That probably happens in NASCAR as well, right? Like maybe yeah. on an even bigger scale. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. They're probably, I don't, they're probably in a tighter box or rule book where, you know, so I'm not sure, but I, it's racing, so I'm. Some of that stuff still has to happen. That's how you get faster. That's how people win races. What um, hot pink did you settle on for the spoilers? Uh, that one's gonna come from. It's a neon pink, I think. Hot pink. It's gonna come from IFS. So, well, I know it's gonna come from IFS. We already have it. I'm a little nervous about it because we're gonna need to clear coat that because it's so bright. Bright colors usually fade usually tend to shy away from that, but we're going to do it. I just don't really want to let everybody down if it starts fading, but we'll see. Grandpa Pospiso will make sure that I hear about it if it doesn't turn out good. So, <laughs> Gave a you shout out to that, him uh, on Facebook yesterday. Yeah. yeah, he enjoyed that. I saw he shared the post. Yeah, and then they That's won great. last night, so maybe I should have been out there and then I could have been in victory lane with them, but. We'll get out there eventually. Did you fix anything this week? Right off the top of my head, I can't really think of much. Um, had some new pieces of equipment. Not equipment, just tools that were kind of trying to work into the mix. I was more focused on getting just prepared to spray the dump trailer that we were talking about before we started recording here. Um, 
just trying to new paint that we're using and, and trying to get all the spray settings. So I spent a lot of time just getting notes written out for that and looking up other products that we sprayed that were really similar, trying to write out a lot of different options. Cause when you're, when you're painting, getting ready to paint, that's a two part paint. You got to mix two components together. Usually you have a sweat in time or an induction time, they call it. So the, components can kind of actually mix together you mix it and then it just has to sit and rest before you can actually spray it and then you have a pot life um meaning that you only have like an hour it depends on the product but uh this particular one was about an hour for the temperature that we were the shop was and after that's up then you're done like the it's too hard to spray and so you have to really be prepared when it's a brand new product um, with what you want to do for spray settings and have some backup plans in place. Like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try this. That didn't work. Let's try this. Otherwise you can end up wasting a lot of paint just because it hardens up. And it's coming out like you wanted it to. Yeah. Turned out really, it's turned out really good. Um, we, anytime that we have a new paint and a complicated spray, we get Jay, my dad involved. And so Kai kind of got everything laid out and, um, got all the notes and data that we had collected for him and then of course you know he doesn't really need any of that he just closes his eyes and, and it and puts his hands on it and sprays perfectly uh because of all of his He's experience yeah but it's 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 fun to watch him figure that stuff out so he got that whipped right into shape and it's working really good that's so cool that's what 35 years in the industry does for you isn't it yeah absolutely but I can't really, I don't really think there was anything that straight up broke that I was working on this week. It was just kind of preparing and we had some facility upgrades that were happening and I was busy. So, um, what's your social media tip of the day today, Chloe? It's less a tip and more, I think something that you and I are both thinking about is, um, finding ways to have more fun. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I agree. You know, like we've been in this grind of trying to be informational and professional and all of this. And I feel like both of us kind of at the same time had this moment of like, wait a minute, like this should also be fun and humorous and engaging and people, you know, people want to interact with things that make them laugh or make them think. Um, and so, um, I know you and I talked about last week how we're both a little bit uptight, um, which I think is one of the reasons we work well together, right? But it's also probably a problem for us that we're both so similar that way because neither of us is particularly good at like cutting loose and, you know, and just being funny. Yeah, that's why we have Dustin and Stefan around in the shop to help loosen yeah. me up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need some of that energy in our lives. Yeah, we do. And I um, see like... What we've been doing uh, a lot of themes. I think everybody has noticed that. And but I can get. I'm really passionate about all of the technical stuff that we do. So like that is fun and exciting to me to record that content, and that's fun and exciting for me to see that content. But I started realizing recently, or just I just kind of took a step back and looked at it, and it's like not everybody's passionate about codings. So they want to see it a little bit and learn, but then they just get bored with it. Versus every coding post I see, I'm interested in. It's exciting me. Um, you know, and, but we, ha I agree with you and that's what we've been talking about a lot is we need, we need a little bit of more just like person to person, um, joking, funny stuff. It can still kind of be about our days, but it doesn't need to be like, 
here's the powder chemistry you need to use on this particular substrate so it doesn't rust. Like, um, that's great and informational, but people kind of get bored with it when they see it yeah. five days in a row, which we just need to, we can um, talk about that stuff. But th there is funny stuff, and I think it's like the problems that come up with what we do in those particular areas, we just don't like share them because we're like, Oh, that doesn't really add value, but it does because it just, it's like a relax, it's a relaxed view of what we're talking about instead of like a textbook. Yeah. And credit to Gary V. I know he's influenced both of us quite a bit. Um, he's always talking about being authentic and being yourself and, um, finding ways to let your personality show through. And I think we haven't really done that much at Kaiser. Yeah, I agree. And whenever we have showed some pranks and things, everybody likes that, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, we're working on that. I've been trying to just really consume other people's content, even if it's like a topic that I don't really care about. Just try to watch how they're doing it. And like, why Why am I interested in this? Why, why did this catch my attention? And trying to kind of parallel yeah. that for our stuff. Yeah. So if I had to put all that in a tip, I guess I would say that if, if you are a human who is on social media, then be a human on social media. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. So I think it's time to bring in Dave with Viadon. Um, like I said, we have worked with Viadon for the past couple of years. We get masking from them. Haven't talked to Dave much. So we're going to get to know him today. And hopefully he can enlighten us on all things masking. So like we said earlier today on KaiserCast episode eight, we have Dave Fuller with Viadon LLC. Uh, Kaiser knows them well for supplying us with masking supplies, uh, silicone plugs, and high temp tapes mainly, but they do all kinds of different things. Uh, we don't deal with Dave too much, um, but he wears a lot of hats there at Viadon. Um, we deal with one of the uh, more salespeople, but he's more behind the scenes and can pretty much do everything there. So this is the first real long conversation I'm going to have with Dave and, and Chloe. So Dave, how are you doing today? I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, fantastic. Uh, just a little sore from having recently moved to a new house. So, but other than that, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for, uh, taking the time out of your schedule to be on the show today. I know these, when we reached out, you said, yeah, no problem. I'm going to be moving, but I think I'll be done by then. And I was like, well, we can reschedule if you want. And you're like, no, I think I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. It was just a matter of making sure that the internet was hooked up, which uh, looks like we're, we're all good on that. So, um, yeah, happy to, to be here. So Chloe, do you want to go ahead and get started? Looks like you have a lot of good questions for him. And then I'll like usual, I'll just kind of jump in whenever I see fit. Yeah. So Dave, it's so nice to meet you. Um, we were chatting briefly before we started recording and it sounds like you wear a lot of hats at Viadon. I wanted to start by talking about your background, how you wound up with the company and what you do there. Sure. Uh, I guess the, the best way to talk about my background as, as it relates to Viadon is maybe to relate a, a small story about when I was very young because um, my mom would tell people that um, David could just take a piece of paper 
a blank sheet of paper, a pair of scissors, and just start cutting and cut out a perfect shape of an airplane. And she would tell everyone this. And she's like, I couldn't understand how you could do that. You could just see the airplane, even though there was nothing there. You hadn't drawn anything. You didn't fold it. You just cut it out, and there was a perfect airplane shape. Uh, so that that ties in quite well with what I do at Viadon because uh, although I both I do sales, but I also uh, do all our design engineer work. So that means all of our custom parts uh, are what I wind up um, making designs for, whether that be a die cut or it's a, a molded part for um, a silicone cap or, or plug or something. And so I have to be able to visualize that uh, very often without having anything more than um, either a, a sketch or a drawing or, or sometimes the part if we're fortunate. Uh, and then I have to be able to visualize how something that doesn't exist yet can mask off that area that may be incredibly complicated or, or um, challenging to to mask off effectively uh, for the type of masking that it needs and the type of metal finishing that it, it may be going through. Um, so that's, uh, I guess, one of the hats uh, that I wear. Um, and then the other one would be, you know, sales. And so I've I have a background in um, communication and and kind of uh, also in in my slightly more distant past uh, some theatrical um, training as well. So uh, there's uh, that communicating, uh, which I think I do all right at most of the time uh, uh, in trying to uh, both understand what people are looking for when they need masking and also communicating to them, hey, here's the vision of what we think will work for you uh, for the masking that you're trying to accomplish, and then uh, getting that uh, made for them. That's amazing. So you you literally were born with this spatial ability, it sounds like. I, I think so. Yeah, that that's uh, I probably got that from my dad. He was kind of like that, too. So um, I have the uh, just that I can see it in my head before it actually exists kind of thing. And uh, then I have to translate that to, um, you know, a CAD design so that we can then make a part. Do you have any formal training in design or art or architecture or anything like that? I wanted to be an architect when I was younger. Uh, and then uh, I discovered how much algebra it took. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of algebra. I'm more just a fan of the geometry side of things. <laughs> so I did really well at geometry, not so great at the algebra. Um, and um, that might actually dovetail nicely with uh, talking about how I um, wound up at Viadon too. Um, I was, uh, I did, like I said, I don't have, you know, the architecture or anything like that, but um the uh my next door neighbor uh was uh, the owner of idon susie we actually moved into homes at almost the identical time and uh a couple years later after uh, she'd been there a while and i'd been there a while she said you know we're looking for someone who can do some design work uh as well as some sales um so would you be interested? And I was looking to kind of get out of the health insurance industry at the time. So I said, sure. And she said, either you're going to understand this and, um, mm. you know, it'll be great or you won't understand it at all. And, you know, you'll last 30 days. And so I've been there 17 years now. So I think I did okay. <laughs> wow. Did you have any reservations about living next door to your boss? 
Uh, no, because she actually wound up moving not long after that. And, you know, she's lived in a number of different places since then. Um, but, you know, all in the Chicago area uh, around where we're at. So uh, that actually didn't really wind up being an issue for all that long. It's such an amazing right place, right time kind of story. I mean, how often does that happen in life? Well, they say that it's not what you know, it's who you know. But in I guess in this case, it was also kind of how I was able to, you know, make the the design things work as well as sales, uh, which is something that Viadon needed uh, because we are such a small company. And uh, and then, you know, it, it worked for, you know, being in the proximity of um, where Viadon's located, too. That's great. So, and I learned this chatting with you just moments ago, when you say small company, you mean very small company. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Biden uh, is five people. Uh, we've got uh, two excellent guys that uh, do our die cutting and tape slitting and, and other converting work. Uh, and then there's uh, three of us uh, in the office area. Um, there's Susie, Stephanie, and, and myself. Um, and I handled uh, a number of different things uh, in the office side of things. Uh, we all kind of do, you know, some sales work. Um, and then the design of uh, custom parts, I, I mentioned earlier, that's part of what I do. And uh, Steph and, and Susie really handle uh, a lot of the other, um, you know, financial side of things and, and uh, some of the vision of, you know, where to go uh, as far as uh, some of the uh, machinery that we have and, and also the, the um, types of products that we're going to be carrying. And then because people need to be able to go on vacation and things like that <laughs> uh, occasionally, or, you know, people get sick too, uh, as the guys sometimes the back have been. And so that just meant that we also needed someone to be able to work some of the machines. So uh, they've taught me how to run our slitters and, and run our die cutting equipment. And so I've been able to, to do that. Or sometimes we're just really busy and we've got a bunch of machines all going at once. And, and so I'll just jump back there if necessary and, and help out with those things. And so just kind of to contextualize this for our, our listeners a little bit. So basically, um, Dave's talking about they pretty much do anything with masking and, and we're, we approach it from the coding industry side. I'm sure he can talk about some of the other industries that they serve. But essentially, if there is a part that we need to have um, a certain surface that we don't get coding on it at all, then we're looking to divide on looking on their website or catalog to see what types of products they offer to plug a hole, um, protect threads, mask a whole entire surface. And we don't do much with like custom masking because we, we're a job shop, so we don't have a lot of the same. We don't have like 10,000 of the same part every week. But it sounds like, Dave, that customers come directly to you when they want a custom masking that, that makes it easier than doing like 10 plugs and some tape to make this whole surface be coding free. Um, so is that a big majority of, of what you guys do? I've always thought that probably not a lot of people seek out custom masking just because you can get it done with stock plugs and things, but what's kind of your proportion of people just using stock versus getting custom stuff made? I would say uh, the majority of it is stock parts uh, when it comes to the molded part side of things when dave was saying that um 
Bidon is a small company. Obviously, Kaiser is a small business, and we like working with other small businesses. The great thing about that is that it um, they're very, very responsive and really quick um, whenever we need to call up and talk to them. You're talking to the people that you need to talk to. Um, so when people call up, Dave, can they talk directly to you about um, custom masking projects like right away? Or are you usually busy or what's the best way? Like, I'm just thinking for myself when, since we haven't talked much, if I need something especially uh, custom made, do you like to see prints or how do you usually go about doing that? Yes, someone could definitely talk to me. Uh, they would probably, if they called in, they would uh, either speak, uh, speak to Stephanie or Susie. Um, and then we would want either a print, if possible, uh, and photos, if that if those are available. And then ideally, if there's a, a part available, that's usually the best way for us to be able to do something, although sometimes uh, a print is sufficient. It just depends on how complex it is. Uh, but we've even had some people sketch something out on a, a yellow pad and and just take a photo of it and and email it to us and we look at it and go oh okay that like that's enough information and and other times we get incredibly complex drawings and look at it and say yeah that doesn't actually doesn't have any of the dimensions that we need to design a part so yeah it really just depends uh what people are looking for but uh, I, definitely a, a a conversation is is a the best way to start just because then we uh very often have the a, a good understanding of kind of where to go from do you primarily serve the finishing industry then, or what other types of clients do you serve? The bulk of what we serve as far as um, types of, of customers, we work with powder coaters, obviously, um, wet painters, anodizers, uh, and platers are, are kind of the big four for us. There's also a little bit of some specialized things that we have, like... Um, We've got a tape that's a multi-layer tape that has silicone and aluminum and glass cloth all kind of layered together. And it's, it's kind of expensive, uh, but it works really well for things like um, thermal spray, uh, which is a highly specialized type of process that uh, very often gets used in some aerospace parts. Um, so we offer that. Uh, and then there's, there's sometimes we don't even actually know what the ultimate uh, – use of the material is someone will just say, Hey, uh, I know what this tape is and I need it. And, you know, we need X number of rolls and sometimes they'll order cases worth. Uh, and we don't have any idea what they're using it for. Cause we know they're not necessarily finishing, but if, you know, we're happy to convert it for them in the sizes that they need and get it to them so, so they can get done what they need to. You mentioned, um, the metric system, do you have an international clientele? We do have some of our customers are overseas. I would say the most are probably in Europe, although we have uh, sometimes uh, had customers in South America and uh, Middle East and, and Asia as well. So it, it just kind of is all over. That's amazing. Um, especially for a company of five people, that's really amazing. Um, I saw on your website recently, you had a little news article about expanding your die cutting capabilities. And I know that's one of the things that you mentioned when you were describing your services. Um, can you talk about what you're now able to do that you weren't able to do before 
or how you're growing um, to meet growing need? It really is a growing thing. Uh, we have had been extremely fortunate, uh, even through some ups and downs as far as uh, the economy overall over the last 20 years. Uh, we've seen remarkably steady growth over that time. Uh, you know, nothing meteoric, but just constant, steady, continued growth. We actually had just had our, our best uh, month ever uh, in March, <laughs> uh, just a couple of days ago. So we're excited to keep uh, seeing things um, just continue to move in the right direction. And so the die cutting machine was uh, kind of a natural extension of that. We have had uh, an older one for a long time that's you know been our workhorse die cutter. Uh, and this is just a, a new updated version of that. So now we can run basically twice as many die cuts at a time if we need to, which occasionally uh, does come up where we need to run either two different jobs at once or or, uh, you know, some things that may be similar uh, and just uh, run them uh, simultaneously. And they're just right next to each other so we can uh, get that done. That's great. Congratulations on a good month. Um, that's so heartwarming to hear, always to hear that another small business is doing well, but particularly after the year that we've all had. Um, how did COVID affect either your supply or your demand? Uh, it did affect some demand slightly uh we did see a little bit of a dip but it it wasn't too significant uh, we were we feel very fortunate that it, it wasn't for us uh, from a supply side that's been an interesting one because um a number of our stock caps and plugs do come from overseas uh and so they you know come over on a boat across on the pacific ocean uh because everyone is ordering things from like Amazon and uh, other things online with so many people uh, being at home, that's actually caused a, a number of backups in the ports on the entire West Coast. Um, so when there was that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal over in uh, the other, you know, the other side uh, of of the world, uh, that actually still is going to wind up probably having reverberations, uh, even for some of our things, just because of how uh, all of those supply chains are are so incredibly connected with just container ships. So uh, we've been trying to stay on top of that by uh, ordering ahead. Uh, so we make sure that we have stock available um, and that things will be uh, in on time. And then there's uh, other things where we've just had to, to make use of air freight as well. So there's, uh, and so far we've been able to keep up with that for everyone. And that's, we've been fortunate that uh, we have not really seen too much of an impact and we've been able to mitigate those impacts just because of uh, being able to have uh, good working relationships both with the folks that we are working with overseas as well as um, the transportation companies that bring those goods into us. That's great. What are some of your most in-demand materials and their uses? Probably our biggest seller is the green polyester tape. Uh, which is sort of the powder coating standard uh, high temperature masking tape. Uh, we, we like to say that we've sold acres and acres of it in terms of area just because of how popular it is. Um, and it's a, a 400 degree uh, material that works on a, in a wide variety of, of situations and not just powder coating. It also works well in, in plating and anodizing as well. 
Uh, so that winds up being kind of the, the one tape that everyone says, yes, let me get that because it's cost effective uh, and also it's quite useful uh, in all those different situations. Jace, is that what you think you order the most of from Viadon? Uh, we actually order the orange tape. Um, I believe that's still polyester, but Dave will have to clarify that for me. One or the amber one, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Uh, we order the orange one. It's bright orange. orange. Okay, yeah. So the orange one is a polyester. That's made with a slightly different formulation. And and I'll back up a little bit and kind of get wonky technical with, with tape for a moment. Um, polyester as a material will usually only withstand about 400 degrees. Um, but the adhesive that's on that uh, is silicone, which will withstand a higher temperature. But the polyester will only generally go up to about 400. But... When they add that adhesive on, they put in uh, different dyes and things, which is what makes it the, the green color or the orange color or blue or, or whatever. So that orange one, they put some kind of filler in there that actually gives it a little bit of additional heat resistance. So you're getting a 425 degree uh, temperature tape, which gives you a little bit more headroom, especially if you're running parts for a little longer uh, or maybe need to be a little bit hotter uh, for curing the powder. Um, and then that allows uh, that tape to withstand that without uh, shrinking or, or having issues uh, with being able to remove it after you're done with the, the cure on it. Yeah, we used to use the green when we first started powder coating, but then we went to the orange just because it seemed like, even though we'd run right around 400, um, a lot of the parts we do are heavier and we're in the oven for quite a long time. So the green would get... It'd be less pliable when it came out of the oven, so instead of peeling off easily, sometimes it would crack in certain spots because it was got basically got kind of hard and brittle. And so when we switch to the orange, we usually don't have that problem. That's that's why we personally went to that. And we do have a couple other tapes that would you know expand that temperature range up to five hundred degrees. So there's a another tape called Capton, which is the amber one I was I was mentioning, and then there's glass cloth. Uh, and those will uh, go up to that high temperature that the the silicone adhesive will will max out at, which is the 500 degrees. But they get more expensive uh, just because of the the material that's used to make them. So uh, speaking of tape, I think when I first started at Kaiser, if you'd asked me what the word masking meant, I would have talked about tape because that's what I use when I'm painting a room in my house. Um, but I've learned in my year so far here that uh, in the world of powder coating, masking means a whole lot more than just tape. Um, I know caps, plugs, that kind of thing tends to save us a lot of time. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about what masking products you would recommend for maybe a brand new powder coater who's just getting started. So uh, the the temperature is really going to be the, the thing that to start out with that they would want to look at. So if they are running it uh, 400 degrees or under for an oven cure, then that green polyester tape would be a, a good option to start with. And uh, silicone is really going to be the the only material that they would want to look at um, for the plugs and caps. As far as which plugs and caps, we offer some starter kits that give a, a range of sizes. So our 24 
different slots for that usually go from some of our really smallest plugs, which are little teeny tiny ones, up to ones that are about an inch in diameter. So then you get a nice range uh, of plugs to be able to to check and see what you might need to use. If you're not using a lot anyway, then you might be able to just use all the ones that are in that. But then it also gives you the ability to check a number of different things uh, that you may need to be able to uh, say, well, you know, gosh, I don't even know what plug to use for this. Well, you can pick a plug right out of the kit uh, and put it right into the part and go, oh yeah, I need the, you know, the STP 000 or I need the STP 101. And we also have uh, cap kits as well. So um, then that would give a number of caps from some of our very smallest ones up to some of the medium size, which for most folks that are doing things in, uh, you know, standard types of threaded parts or, um, you know, small studs or that kind of thing, that's probably going to have just about every uh, cap that you would need starting out to, to give you a good uh, cross section of our products that will help you know what to get if you do need more of them. That's great. Like a little sampler. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. So Jace mentioned recently that Kaiser switched from EPDM to silicone a while back. Um, can you talk about the differences between the materials and any advantages or disadvantages? Sure. Uh, EPDM is a usually black rubber material and it has good abrasion resistance, but it only will withstand about 350 degrees of temperature. So that's a great option for people who are doing anodizing, uh, sometimes plating, uh, but in particular for powder coaters, that may work well for blasting uh, situations because it's got that additional abrasion resistance. So if you're not doing something like you know, huge steel shot, <laughs> which would tear it up <laughs> fairly quickly, uh, but if most of your blasting is... is uh, to really clean up the part uh, and uh, try to get all the oils out and things like that, then EPDM may be a good way to keep some of the more sensitive areas like threaded areas and that kind of thing free from uh, the blasting material so that you uh, protect the surfaces that need to be. Silicone, on the other hand, uh, does not have quite that same abrasion resistance, so uh, it will not do as well in uh, a blasting cabinet, but it does have the higher heat resistance. So that's where that works well for powder coating uh, when you need to go ahead and uh, when you once you have the part clean, then you can mask it with the silicone and then um, coat the part. And then you can either leave the silicone in there uh, or you can remove them prior to uh, some people do that just because it um, provides a little bit softer uh, line where the powder coating is uh, and other times there's not the ability to do that just because there may be too many parts um, or there's just not an ability to do that uh, time-wise uh, prior to being able to uh, get the part done. Is there a danger too of maybe slipping and like, you know, brushing your hand against the powder before it's cured and that kind of thing as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that just is going to be dependent on, you know, what that individual coder is doing and uh, what type of work they've got. Um, for some people, there's no choice but to just leave the plugs in, which is why silicone is, is such a useful material for that. And for others, if they're doing um, more detailed work, uh, more custom work, then they may actually want to go ahead and just carefully remove them uh, if they've got the ability to be able to uh, handle the part in a way where they don't 
touch the part prior to uh, having it go into the cure process. Yeah, definitely. So when I'm thinking about powder coating, I'm usually more thinking on the industrial side. We're ordering a lot of plugs, a lot of caps that'll cover a wide range of things, a tape that'll cover a wide range of things. Do you guys get the really small custom coders that are doing like super fancy wheels or gas tanks or fenders where they're almost doing like what someone would do with liquid paint with pinstriping and kind of airbrushing and things, but it's all kind of happening in powder. Do you, is there any, I know we've been kind of talking about it the whole time with the different tapes and, and plugs, but do you have any challenges from companies like that where they're trying to saying, here's what I'm trying to get done what combination do you think works the best? So, so do you have customers that are call you about that th- stuff? Uh, to answer the first part, yes, we, we have customers that are, you know, small uh, one man shop uh, type places that, that do that uh, all the way up to, to larger ones. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we field all kinds of questions, as far as you know, you know what will work for uh, a given option, um, and help them to be able to mask something successfully. And so that's, I guess, that's what makes my job interesting every day. Is because I never know, you know, what someone will will come to us with and ask about because it's it's always something different um, and, and very often uh, something that we've not heard before. And so we, we have to, you know, kind of put our heads together and, and think about it and, and figure out what's going to be the best option for them and, and make some recommendations based on, you know, what they've presented us with and what we think will, will provide them the, a solution that's going to work. So, Chloe, with all the you, I think you watch a lot of social media videos from a lot of other powder coders that usually are recording stuff that um, is the super intricate things. What, do you have any questions for Dave or have you like anything that you've seen in the video that you know that you never see at Kaiser that you're kind of wondering how they do that? I mean, yeah, Kaiser doesn't do a lot of like the really intricate, you know, I see it, especially on wheels on Instagram. People love to have multiple colors on their wheels. They want all the little insets to be one color and then they want the rest of the part to be a different color. Um, so when you're, when you're custom cutting tape and masking supplies, is that usually the kind of product that you're helping the finisher to create? Um, for the wheels, probably not. Uh, and I don't want to say that it, it definitely isn't because there, there's likely people. And I, I do know that there's actually some people that will use the tape and, and cut it themselves with, uh, you know, a razor blade, but, um, you know, outside of what we do, I, I know that some of those guys will sit there by hand and just carefully, you know, swipe the, the powder off, um, you know, and they'll just keep wetting their finger and, and pulling more off a little bit at a time and, and make these incredibly, uh, intricate designs based on the contours of, of the actual wheel itself. Wow. That sounds so time consuming. I can't even imagine. They'll, they'll, they'll show, and I don't know if you've seen these at all, but they, they'll have sometimes a time lapse uh, where they'll show them, you know, going all the way through a wheel and it, it's probably hours worth just for a single wheel. Sometimes it looks like anyway, uh, just, you know, swipe, 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 swipe a little bit at a time. So hence probably why Kaiser doesn't do that. Right, Jace. Yeah. But I was just thinking, so if we wanted to start doing something like that and, 
um, let's say there was a popular wheel for some reason. So we were doing a hundred of the same wheel, maybe a lot of different, each set of wheels with different colors. But if the profile or the casting of the wheel was the same, that's something where we could probably get with Dave and then say, okay, here's a picture of the wheel or here's a print. Um, can you make us some kits to do like mask all these little areas off because we're going to do a hundred of these. And that would be something that could make it a lot quicker than wiping it by hand, I would think. And that would be one of those areas where just depending on the wheel itself, it, it could either be something where there's a custom molded part required. So either, you know, out of silicone um, or custom die cut required too. Uh, and to kind of touch on a little area that we have that um, sometimes gets used for prototypes, but also sometimes gets used for even very small production runs, like, you know, a hundred wheels or, or something like that. We have a plotter that just sort of cuts um, individual pieces one at a time. And it's, it, it sort of looks like, uh, I guess, uh, one of the old school type, I don't want to say it's an old school. It's actually a, a, a newer machine, but um, the old, printers where they would you know go all the way across and then come back uh it just has a knife blade instead so it's got a pinch wheel where it pulls the lined material through and it'll cut out whatever shape i designed for it uh either one at a time or, or if we want 10 or or 20 or 100 just depending on the size and more and more of the smaller shops even sometimes have those types of machines themselves so they've been ordering that lined material the pre-lined material so they can make their own custom type of uh designs whether they're doing just a one-off or five or ten or whatever so I see a lot of like the Yeti cups being powder coated with fancy designs on them. So it's pretty good chance that some of those coating shops have a plotter and they're printing out the or cutting out those designs on masking paper themselves because it's one at a time, basically. Yeah, I, I, I've seen uh, two different ways for that to be done. Uh, one is is using the masking tape like we have. And uh, I know some people also use a, a laser and they'll put on a single coat of uh, the, the coating and then they will run it through a laser and then burn off the, the sections uh, that they want to have the design on. And that's actually made some pretty cool things uh, for some of those custom folks that are looking to have uh their either logo or or favorite sports team or whatever uh on on some of those yeti cups wow yeah that explains a lot because that's another thing that's on instagram is i mean jace mentioned the powder coated yeti cups but you know that kind of like really small very detailed logo oriented type of work and i always wondered how that worked I, I think laser, uh, but I know I, we've we've definitely helped people with uh, the masking tape for that side of, of doing some of those things, too. OK, so I want to go back real quick to um, you were talking about maintaining silicone plugs and keeping them clean and that kind of thing. Um, I know Jace mentioned that he likes the silicone because it doesn't tend to uh, grip the powder the way that the EPDM used to. Um we had someone, I think it was on LinkedIn, mentioned that they liked to use MEK to clean off their plugs. Is that something you recommend? Um, MEK, I know, is pretty strong stuff. Uh, and I, to be honest, off the top of my head, I don't know what effect that has on silicone. If if they're saying that that works, that okay. Um, I, I know or at least I think that MEK gets used for testing power 
Yeah, so MEK is really, really hot solvent, and we use that to do, like, cure checks on powder to make sure that it's fully cured. Uh, yeah, so um, I suppose that would work, but I don't know what that does to the cured silicone. So uh, I'm not going to say that that's necessarily a good idea to, to use that. to. But if you know if other people find that it works, I would say test that extensively. <laughs> Okay. To make sure. Is there right. is there anything that you would say like for sure don't use on your silicone plugs? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Just be, um, there's I know there's a number of um, petroleum based products that sometimes will negatively affect the silicone. Um, I. Wait, I always have a chart that I check, and I don't have that in front of me, so I I, I can't provide that uh, at the moment. But um, so you said I that, put you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> you said that you put that in a tumbler, or, or people put those in tumblers. I've never heard of that before. So are they have some sort of abrasive in with the plugs that are kind of knocking the the powder off, or what do you mean when you say they put the plugs in a tumbler? Usually, it's just the the plugs themselves. So, um, they'll, when the powder builds up enough, as you've seen, and and as you were talking about earlier, how there's, you get kind of that ridge that'll build up on there because silicone has that low surface and energy to it. Generally the powder tends to come off relatively easy. Some of it will, will still sometimes stay on there. Um, but just by tumbling them together, uh, that can very often remove most of the, the loose material. The only thing about doing that is then you want to make sure that those plugs are then clean afterwards. So you may need to, you know, rinse them quickly or, or spray them off so that they don't have residual uh, things on there that could then contaminate uh, a part um, from having, you know, some excess uh, powder on them. When do you know that it's time to go ahead and replace the plug? Like when is when is it too far gone for maintenance and it's time to just start fresh? Uh, very often there's you can kind of feel the plugs. They start to get um, soft. So most of our plugs, uh, and, and I realize most people wouldn't necessarily have an actual durometer tool to check this, but most of our plugs are uh, – about the same hardness. So they're around 55 to 60 or so durometer shore A, um, which is a, a measure of how you know soft they are. You can start to feel when they are more soft than uh, you know existing plugs or new plugs that you might have. And so when that happens, um, generally the plugs are, are not necessarily holding the same type of tolerance that they would have. And, and I, I want to make sure that I'm also mentioning caps there too, because the caps might actually kind of expand a little bit and not hold quite as well as they should. So when you start to feel that they have that little, um, that different feel to them and that they're softer, that's uh, probably a good time to, uh, to replace them just because that they're not going to stay in place like they should uh, or necessarily stay on to, you know, threaded surfaces like they should need. Is there any kind of recycling or reclaim service for those or are they just, you're throwing them out, they're done? Uh, those would, I believe, are safe to dispose of um, in most any um, typical trash. Okay. Uh, that you would, you know, that you would also um, send your powder, you know, you know, any cured powder coating too. Okay. Um, if you don't mind, I do want to go back. You had mentioned um, 
which ones uh, you were talking about EPDM having good abrasion resistance um, and how that makes it handy for the blasting booth. So Jace, given that we don't really use EPDM at Kaiser, are we, I mean, are you using silicone plugs and caps in the blasting booth? How does that work? Yeah, we do. I mean, some of our plugs that we used to use in powder that were EPDM and they got so much buildup on them. We just moved those over to blast and then they kind of got cleaned up. We kind of kept them there, but those have all kind of cycled out by now. And we just buy silicone across the board just because it's easier. We can buy one plug. I definitely can see that like the silicone plugs wear pretty good. So like eventually they just deteriorate. Um, it's more like, so usually when you get a silicone plugs, any powder coater that's gotten them before knows they're really smooth and slick on the outside typically. And, good tolerance but after you've blasted them at least with our steel grit at, at the size that it is um you can tell it's kind of beating it up and chewing it up so sometimes we try to cycle them back and forth between blast and powder a lot of the time when we've plugged it for blast and we know it's going to powder this plug just stays in it all the way through pre-treatment and everything and then um we'll just go ahead and try to cycle coated plugs back to the blast booth. And that's a way for us to keep them clean. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, but if we get a ton of plugs that are really built up and we need them right then for a certain job and we don't have time to order more in, then we kind of cycle them back to the blast for that beginning of that job. Got it. So um, I'm noticing we're coming up on an hour of really good information here. I, if it's okay with you, I kind of wanted to um, take it in a more personal direction and, and throw you a question that I didn't outline in my questions, if that's all right, if I can put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned in an email that you've done a large part of Viadon's marketing, website content, photos, videos, text, et cetera. Um, I know I, I would assume that a lot of the people who listen to KaiserCast tend to be um, either individual powder coaters or small businesses similar to ours. What advice do you have for people who have a product they believe in and are trying to get it out there? Uh, I, I would say, you know, keep talking about it um, and and show people what you've got that um, that you can do because uh, you know when you believe in something and people see that you believe in it and and you can show them that that product does work, uh, then that uh, has an effect. And I think that's something that that we uh, are able to do at Viadon just with you know how we interface with our customers uh, on a daily basis, both on the phone and, and uh, when I go and see some of my customers locally is just uh, being able to show them the product that we have and, and showing them how it works. And so if you've got something that you believe in, um, you know, keep, keep uh, making that something that uh, is uh, something that others see your passion for. Uh, and then, you know, they can, that, I think bleeds over into people. It's the whole idea of, um, you know, positivity can be uh, contagious. And, and the same thing is true of any products that you are uh, trying to market to others is that um, that becomes contagious to them too. They see that and, and feel that, and um, that becomes part of um, something that they're excited about. I love that. 
I love that. Thanks for humoring me. I was just curious what you what you would sure. say. What do you think from a marketing standpoint for since you guys are also a small business and you handle, I think, some of the marketing side of things, where is your focus when you're trying to reach out to people? And I'll just say the coding industry, but I think you have other customers in other industries. What's your best way to reach them? We're trying to show them all the various options that might spark something of interest in what may work for them because um, – Although I get and and we as a company get lots of different um, custom types of you know hey can we do this or you know we need this particular type of of process done uh, so you know you're converting will help us in this way we try to show people what else uh, is, is something that someone had work for them without getting into giving away too many trade secrets sometimes too, or, or I guess really um, sometimes the things that we work on because they're aerospace, uh, they also wind up falling into, you know, military type stuff. So we can't necessarily show everything um, or, or talk about it too much, but we do try to say, Hey, uh, this is something that worked for someone else. Maybe this will spark an idea in something that will work for you. And we've actually had people that have called us and said, Hey, I saw that, you know, you had this other thing on your website or, uh, you know, something on a social media post. And, you know, I think something similar might work for me, but I want to change it. And here's how. And so then they talk about that with us and, and we make that try to work for them too. I guess I hadn't considered that some of your designs are probably very proprietary. I mean, you mentioned the aerospace industry. Um, that makes sense that they don't want, you know, all of that being released publicly. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, even automotive type stuff. I mean, I, I designed a, uh, it was a part that was about four inches square, but it had 15 different plugs all integrated into it that worked for uh, a large automotive manufacturers. Um, and I don't even want to say what, what it went for, but it was, it, it was a part in, in their vehicle and I'll just leave it at that. But uh, we knew that we couldn't really show their part along with our part because that would, you know, give away too much information. So we just showed ours and said, Hey, here's a cool mask that we made. Uh, you know, maybe this is something that would work for you. So, so can you make custom silicone plugs right there at Bidon or is it because so you're talking about that you make you can make a lot of custom um tapes and things but it like let's say I had something I was like I really need this to be silicone for whatever reason but it, it needs to be some custom molded to this particular face how do you go about doing that so uh, the things that we do in-house uh, and I'll just mention that uh, are the tape and die cutting and the overhead press that where we can you know cut that the silicone sheeting into die cuts when it comes to the molded parts we don't do molding in-house uh, we do actually uh, work with a couple outside firms and we have uh, both overseas and well as um, an American um, silicone uh, manufacturer that we work with. So if you need something that's, you know, made in States, we can definitely do that. If, uh, you know, obviously the ones that are overseas are uh, a little less expensive. Uh, but interestingly, uh, timing wise, they, they 
uh, are sometimes somewhat similar, uh, but we can get things from the states uh, a little bit faster. Uh, and we have had some people who have made use of that, and, and we're happy to do that because uh, a lot of our tapes that we carry, we try very hard to to carry as many American-made tapes as we can as well, because you know it's not just about you know our jobs; it's about supporting everyone else's jobs here uh, in in the U.S. as well. So we try to do that as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how as 3D printing has come on the scene and it's pretty, it's been around for a while now. Has that affected how you do anything? We have made some 3D prints. Uh, I actually, uh, a while back when that was first starting to kind of be a thing, I bought one myself and and made a couple of uh, plugs that helped us out. And then uh, I, I just, it wasn't something that I spent a whole lot of time on. And as people really had those uh, types of um um, that production available uh, on a more consistent basis, particularly for the types of materials that we're using, which is, you know, a, a softer type of plastic uh, to make it work and and feel a little bit more like a, a silicone type plug. It won't handle the heat, uh, but it'll at least kind of function sort of like one so people can see how it would work in a part. We just started to, to outsource that because we were getting better results than I would be able to do uh, and in faster time, too, because, you know, my printer was just a, a relatively inexpensive one. And it was you know fun to play with for a while. But then it was like, no, we need to be able to make some of these uh, more consistently and look really good. So uh, then we just did it that way. And, and that's worked out really well when people have needed those types of parts made uh, and we've gotten them uh, very quickly and, and they've been great. So the you guys still utilize 3d printing as a prototyping to show somebody something. It's not something where I'd be like, Hey, I need this really custom part. I only need five. Can we get that 3d printed? Uh, I mean, you could, the, the issue for that is that the materials that are used in the 3d printing aren't quite up to the same specifications as like a, a compression molded silicone part because a compression molded silicone gets cured at a higher temperature so it can therefore withstand the higher temperature whereas with the 3d printing at least for the um the type that we typically get uh it's a basically a melted plastic and so uh it's melted at around the same temperature that powders cured at so if you put that in the oven it would just melt <laughs> in into your part which you don't obviously don't want uh so it, it's really just used as kind of a prototyping type uh of situation for now yeah okay that makes sense i was just i wasn't sure if silicone was able to be 3d printed yet or not uh i know there's some people that are kind of experimenting with that uh as far as being able to make that work really well uh, i've not seen anything that goes much beyond uh, just making something kind of rudimentary at least okay jace are you getting ideas oh i just i mean it's just interesting when because we're always faced since we're a job shop and we get a lot of weird stuff that comes in I tend to turn some of that more sophisticated stuff away and to say, no, we don't really want to mess with that because I just know that the expense that it's going to bring, or if I, like if I called Dave and I said, Hey, I have these two custom pieces for this one customer and it is going to have to be like a silicone type plug, but we need to make them custom. He's going to be like, uh, you're probably gonna need to find a different way. It's gonna be way too expensive to make two. <laughs> and so I, 
that's why I was just asking, like, maybe, I would assume someday 3D printing will come far enough to where maybe we'll be able to make some onesie twosies out of silicone or a similar type product, maybe. So that's why I was curious. There are some really interesting things being done with 3D printing that could perhaps go in that direction. I've seen some of the things that they're doing where they use like a, an ultraviolet cured type situation where the, the, the part is it literally like suspended in liquid and then they just ultraviolet um, print the part uh, over time and then pull it out and then the cured part is done and then all the liquid stuff stays in there. So that's kind of an interesting thing, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to be available for silicone. Silicone is kind of a, an interesting material that uh, is unique for, for at least masking uh, for sure. So unless something else comes along, which we'll obviously keep an eye out for, but uh, I'm not quite seen that yet. But got my fingers crossed. I'm about to pull out my materials engineering book. I was gonna get go to graduate school for materials engineering, so maybe I'll invent a new material that Dave can use. That would be great. <laughs> a Kaiser Viadon partnership. I like it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was so lovely meeting you. Um, I learned more about masking than I've ever known in my entire life. Well, thank you very much for having me on, and it was great to meet both of you, and uh, I, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to um, provide a little bit of more information about the, the world of masking. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. Um, he took time out of his busy schedule. He just got done moving and still made time for us. So that's Dave Fuller with Viadon. If you need any help with any sort type of masking, whether it's coatings like we do or just anything else, reach out to them. They're really helpful. And most importantly, they're extremely fast. All right. So that was Dave Fuller. We really thank him for taking the time out of his day to come on here, talk about masking. I think we learned a lot. Um, and hopefully we can talk to him again sometime and maybe bring on um, some other masking suppliers as well that maybe do a little bit more uh, masking. I was talking to him a little bit off air, and he was saying that uh, there are some other masking companies that he knows of that do make some very special, intricate um, molded parts. They don't deal with those much um, as stock products at Viadon, uh, but they are out there. We don't use them at Kaiser, so, but uh, we'll look into that a little bit and maybe get another masking supplier on that can, I, I just want to learn more about it. I don't, I don't know where you're at with Chloe with, with it, but it just, again, I just really feel like it's not something that we spend a lot of time on. We use plugs all the time. Don't get me wrong. And we use tape a lot too, but we do it the, this quickest and easiest and cheapest way possible. You know, we're, Instead of going the custom and finding, I haven't spent a lot of time trying to find the perfect masking plugs, what everybody else is doing, what's new and on the cutting edge, like I do with pretreatment and powder. Because we not, it's not like we don't mask every single job. We mask a couple jobs a week. So Makes what do you sense. think from your standpoint? I know we kind of talked about it when we were on with Dave, but like you get to see a lot of different uh, social media posts from a lot of different places and you usually have pretty good questions that you draw from that what like when you see what we do which isn't a lot 
Like, is there anything that comes to your mind that you're like, why don't we or or not? I mean, you answered, it was a question I had early on when I was, you know, browsing Instagram and seeing all of these like custom wheels and all of that. And you, you kind of talked about how much work it is to do more than one color on a part. Um, especially if you're talking about little tiny areas that really have to be masked and then revealed and then sprayed and the whole thing. So I understand um, since we do a lot of industrial work that that's just not a niche that we're a part of. Um, But it is kind of what you see on social media when you're, you know, looking at powder coating hashtags. Yeah, I might be wrong, but I feel like our geographic location kind of lends to that too. I I feel like if we were like east or west coast, there may be more of a demand for people bringing in wheels that don't just want them black. You know, I think like we do get people that call and say they want a multicolor or whatever. We usually refer them somewhere else. But that's only like once every couple months that someone asks for that. Usually they're like, no, I just want all white, all black. Um, But I think when you get to more uh, carsy areas, maybe up in the around like Michigan and Detroit and stuff, I think the majority of people that were coming in would probably ask for multicolor. You would, you'd have few people asking for solid color. So then you'd be forced into, to learning how to do that and, and doing it well. We just haven't had enough practice with it. So I just try to stay away from it because I know it's going to be a disaster. Okay. Yeah. I imagine like anything else it probably takes time to get good at. Yeah. Maybe we just need to find some scrap wheels and practice from the junkyard and practice. Do you think it's something wheels would be into? Yeah, it would be a good new challenge for him. Um, I think, honestly, he's so good at what he does. I think some days he gets bored. He does a lot of the same thing over and over again. He's fantastic at it. And I really enjoy when we have new projects. I really enjoy um, getting to work with him in the booth, trying to figure it out. And, you know, with spray settings and with, you know, spray patterns and checking film thicknesses and if we need a two coat and that's really fun setting up new jobs. Um, it's frustrating, but it's really fun working with him going back and forth, bouncing ideas off each other. So maybe that could be something that comes up. We, we just need more of a demand for it, I think, which maybe that means we need to utilize our social media to reach out farther geographically. And we, I feel like we've gotten stronger in our logistics in the last year or so we do a lot of arranging our own shipments. So, Maybe or, that means we ship stuff in and out. I, I don't know. Or start a trend in Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. You know, lots of car guys in Lincoln. I know that for sure. And when I was asking Dave about, you know, can we get kits, you know, and they could make kits for us. If you could get a lot of the same wheel, which probably is unrealistic, but if you get a lot of the same wheel, even if it was a ton of different colors, everybody wanted a different striping, but you had one specific masking kit for it, that would make it really easy. You know, that would make it simple. So. I like it. We, so speaking of Instagram, we had a question on Instagram. Um, It was on a part that we posted that had been DA sanded. And the question comes from polynomial. Um, And they're asking, what sandpaper do you use? Specifically, what brand of sanding consumable do you like? Where have you found good value for your purpose? So for DA sanding, the company that we use is Kling Spore. They have all kinds of different abrasives. Um, 
And then before that, we would just buy them at hardware store and stuff like that. So I don't know what, I don't even remember what brands those were. 3M would be another brand that you could get it from. Grits, we use all kinds. We have 60 grit, 120 grit, 320 grit, I think five or 600 grit. So if you're going to be DA sanding, you want a range of grits. Um, do some research on the actual sander. You can do electric or you can do air driven. And then when you get into air driven, there's, a, I mean, you can get different uh, how fast it actually spins it around. But then also like the DA stands for dual action. So the disc is spinning, but then it actually like the, the disc oscillates as well in like an ellipse. So the disc is spinning, but it's also like locationally moving. If you look at it from above, even though you're not moving your hand. Um, so that's how you get the dual action thing going on. And that can get really sophisticated. So kind of need to research that for your application there. 3M has some pretty good guides on that, but to answer the question, we use cling spore for our abrasives for the sandpaper portion of it. And typically we're using an electric DA sander. Great. I let them know. So passing the recommendation along. All right. Well, I think overall today was a pretty good episode. A little different than what we normally do. It was really information heavy from Dave, I think. Because I didn't feel like I had very much value to add other than questions to him. So That's how I feel every time I am on KazerCast. Really? Yes. I feel like you add good value usually. All in the form of You're questions, the... right? Well, that's true. You know? You make it easy. I can just hop on and listen. All right. Well, that was KazerCast episode 8. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Wherever you're listening from, uh, I would like you to subscribe or follow, um, share this, comment, or reach out to us with an email or comment on our social. Let us know what you think about this, what you want to see differently. Is our sound good? Do you like our mics? Do you not like our mics? We just got new mics, and I think they're really great. So other than that we're just trying to get feedback it seems like everybody's liking the stuff and listen to it more and get more downloads but as we get more people listening hopefully that means we'll get more feedback so we can make stuff better we have a lot of guests that we want to have on here from a lot of different areas um so looking forward to that but if anybody has ideas of guests or wants to nominate somebody or suggest somebody let us know until next time thanks for listening Is everything working good for you? You need anything? Anything broke? Anything leaking? Just make sure we stay on track with the yellows and everything will be fine. Little things lead to big things. Can you stay late tonight? We need to get this job finished up. Overall, I think everybody's doing a great job. Keep up the good work getting hot out so make sure you're drinking plenty of water i know this job's been difficult and everybody's getting frustrated but if we can't do it nobody else can that's the reason why the job's here because nobody else could get it figured out just keep working at it don't get frustrated we'll keep collecting data taking good notes and we'll get it figured out 
Does anybody else have anything? 